And um, I definitely didn't have one of those stories of like, oh, I wanted to be a filmmaker or whatever, because the, you know, the truth is like, I, I didn't see that. Like there's no um, visual confirmation that this is um, a real thing that a person could do because of, of how I grew up and where I was. Right. You know, right. it's like a million miles away. Like, I mean, it's like, well, Hollywood is physically very far away, but like, also I just, there's just no, no connections whatsoever, like in my right. family or even just like a visual representation of it. There was none. Eita, Brasil. Tá comigo? New York, I know you hear me. Yeah. Every morning that I wake up, I think about my ambition. What's the point of life? Welcome back to another episode of La Mescla. What's going on, everybody? My name is Adrian Burke. I'm the creator and host of this show. Um, I'm so happy to have you here. If you're a returning listener, thank you for coming back. If you're a new human, uh, thank you so much for checking the show out. Uh, if you are so inclined, please uh, like and rate and subscribe and all that stuff that I'm supposed to tell you to do. Um, it means a lot that anybody out there uh, supports the show. Uh, so please continue to do that. And please, please, please write a review. Let's get into this week's guest. Uh, I'm so, so, so excited to uh, bring her to you. This week's guest is the wonderful, wonderful Barbie Lung. Uh, Barbie is a New York-based cinematographer and camera operator. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure and privilege of working with Barbie on a short film uh, a long time ago, and I was so excited, I have been so excited to get her on the show. Um, Barbie has worked on so many amazing films, including American Morning, uh, which stars the Emmy Award winner Richard Schiff. Uh, she also worked on uh, a family dramedy called Tell by Date, as well as a movie called Cry Baby, which was a slam dance uh, screenplay best short. <laughs> I'm going to take that again. A slam dance best short screenplay winner. Uh, Barbie's been uh, working all over the place, uh, and she was such a, a fucking pleasure to talk to. I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. Uh, so without further ado, uh, here is my conversation with Barbie Lung. I got a long way to go, but as far as I know, I'm gonna stay on this road, man. What? So, okay, <laughs> here we are. Hi, Barbie. Hi. How are you? Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me, Adrian. Oh, yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. This Thank is you. this has been a long time coming. I was just telling you before I hit record, like how long I've wanted you on the show. So excited to have you. So let's uh, let's do my standard open. What has become my standard opening. Mm -hmm. So the name of my fan base is my mom's friends, because to this day, at least 75% of the people who listen to the show are people my mom tells about it. So just uh, introduce yourself to my mom's friends. Tell us where you're from, where your parents are from, where you grew up, just like your basic deal. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Cool. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Barbie Lung. I am a cinematographer. I am born and raised in New York. I'm a, a very thorough New Yorker, I would say. Um, but I've also lived a couple years in San Francisco. Um, and my family um, comes from, uh, generally speaking, the southeast region of China. So it's like a little bit like Hong Kong, Macau, um Guangzhou like my mom's side that I'm a little bit closer to so primarily like you know um, I wouldn't even say culturally because culturally it's really Hong Kong so it's like mm -hmm. a, it's and, and, and it's changed over the decades you know with like geopolitics and stuff sure. so yeah but that's that's the core of it and then I also have 
Um, and I don't know if, we, if I mentioned it with you when we were working because like there's still a little time between the cinematographer and the actors. But right. um, I also have a whole chunk of my family um, has ties to Cuba, actually, because, oh. um, yeah, so that's my dad's side of the family, which unfortunately I'm not as close with, but definitely had a really big impact on me when I was growing up. Um, Got it. Yeah. So did he, where, how, how much of that side of the family is connected to Cuba? How does that connection work? Is your dad from Cuba? Yeah. Um, no. Uh, so basically, you know, cultural revolution history. Yeah. Like running sure. away, uh, that kind of thing. So basically right. the route was my, uh, <laughs> my, my grandfather on my dad's side, um, he, uh, like kind of left and he's kind of like, you know, like an adventuring kind of journeyman kind of situation. Like, you know, like he just like did odd jobs and stuff. Like his family was pretty, um, steadily well off, like in China, but then like he wanted, he just left and he like was a cook on a ship of some kind, blah, blah, blah. And wow. so he ended up, um, in, um, Cuba and, um, and he had like, he, I don't know the exact ages, but so some of my uncles were actually born there. So then by the time they got to New York and settled into New York, um, like his, um, oldest son had already married a Cuban woman and they had a family um, uh, and like my grandfather spoke some Spanish and you know, it was just like kind of like a mixed bag. So it was a, a while ago, but um, actually my, my name comes from um, a cousin uh, who was 12 at the time from, from that marriage, like my uncle's marriage. And um, so she, uh, she's actually, I think about it all the time because she gave me my name. Like she, she suggested to my mother, like Barbie, because she's a 12 year old girl at the time. And then my mom <laughs> and your like, mom was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I don't think she understood the full cultural ramification. Like she knew it was the doll. So I think that was actually part of the attraction for her. She was like, uh -huh. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Wow. Let's go with that. I feel like there's so much baggage attached to Barbie, like in terms of like American <laughs> culture and iconography. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So what, so you're, have you always been in Queens? Um, no, I was actually born in like the Chinatown, Lower East Side kind of border, you know, again, just depending on how history was going at the time. Um, so it, it was like, it's, it's, it's a very classic, um, like, you know, immigration in New York in the eighties. Um, mm -hmm. it's like, if you're, you know, if you're Chinese then you're probably Cantonese of some flavor from that area of China and you mm -hmm. moved, um, into the former like Jewish tenement. Like, you know, right. that was the pathway. So, like, I was, like, like well, I, mean, I was born in a hospital, but, you know what I mean? I was, like, born and, like, you know, kind of raised for the few, first few years um, in those tenements. It's actually the one that's, like, directly across from the, um, that big synagogue um, on Eldridge Street here. I'm blanking on the name of it. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's like the flavor of the neighborhood is such that, like, I think up until, like, now they still have this festival every year called, um, what was it, uh, Egg Rolls and Egg Cream, where, like, <laughs> they would, like, play Mahjong. It was just, like, this melding of, like, like um, neighborhood melding of, like, Jewish and, and um, Chinese culture and stuff. And yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, like, really that kind of vibe. But, yeah, so it was, like, the first few, year, few years there, and then my family, um, there was some, like, you know, kind of like uh, strife issues, whatever. So part of the family like moved them um, to Queens. And also it's just like a thing that, that happens, right? Like yeah. that exodus to sort of the uh, suburbs or pre-burbs, you know, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's when we went to Queens. Yeah. And then, but it really has no bearing on where I am now. Like uh, how, how old were you when you moved to Queens? I was five. 
Oh, so like you five were or six. Mad it was young. like first grade. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I just remember enough of it. And then, um, yeah, but like I, I kind of stayed sort of connected with Manhattan in the sense that we were, I lived in Queens, but I didn't have the sense of growing up in Queens because mm. I went to um, a combined junior high and high school program that was in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So it's, it. it's a, it's a very strange, it's like mentally, yeah. it, I right. wasn't Which, like, I'm not a Queens girl. Right. Which I just want to say, like, for people who are listening to this, who aren't from New York, like, who <laughs> yeah, because I feel like a lot of people would be like, aren't Queens and Manhattan, like the same thing? They are very okay. much not like okay. that. You might as well be from like a different state at a certain. Yeah. Point. It's, like, such yeah. a difference. So you went to school on the Upper East Side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like um, one of these, uh, like, um, what, are, what do they call it? It's called a government school. So it's not in the public school system. So oh. you have to, you have to uh, test into it. So like New York's known for their magnet schools, but right. magnet schools are still in the school system. This is like a weird thing. I actually don't know the full sort of political history of it, but it's a um, junior high and high school combined six year program that's actually run by the college board. So oh, it was a very strange, it's a strange place to go to school because you're not a private school, but you're surrounded by a lot of private schools. And you're um, also and not technically a public school, right? You're not a public school. So the curriculum is also different. So it was very strange, you know, like, you know, there's like a lot of um, sort of like class and um, issues going on there, right? Like, you know, yeah, I can imagine, especially if you have yeah. to test into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the Upper East Side, it's, you know, yes. you can see it in movies, like it is that you know, yeah, and, and yeah. so there's like a mixture of those people, like there's people who live on the Upper East Side, there's kids coming from Staten Island, from, you know, all five boroughs, because it's a testing thing, you know, right, um, right. so, you know, like, I remember I had classmates who would be like, running to catch the ferry and do their homework on the ferry as they rode back to Staten Island, yeah. and, you know, so, so you got and this, I did like, my homework on the train. You got this, like, weird microcosm of the whole tri-state area, kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm very New York. Yeah. What was the, what was the, the like demographic breakdown of that school? Like roughly, what kind of crowd were you running with? Mm, those are two different questions, I think. That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> um, I, I don't fully know. Uh, I would have to like, you know, because like the world is so different now and my awareness of, of things are, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think like any of the magnet schools, um, there were fewer black kids. But, you know, we, I, we had some black kids. There, there were Asian, a lot of Asians. Um, I think toward, towards the end of my six years, and certainly after I graduated, there was definitely a sense that there were too many Asians. Um, mm. You know, because of the, there's a very um, aggressive test prep culture that goes right. around it. Yeah. Um, there was a then, similarly yeah. intense uh, test prep culture yeah. at my school. I went to a public yeah. school in the suburbs, but that culture is so, so, so toxic. It's yeah, so exactly. So, like, I, I totally understand the criticism of that whole deal. But, like, I mean, to, to try to be more succinct about it, like, I mean, it was pretty diverse. I would probably wager that if I pulled out my yearbook and took an honest look, mm-hmm. that it was, I wouldn't complain about it too much yeah and yeah. were you were you like hanging out with kids from school or mostly like kids in queens yeah that's also a rough one um i <laughs> um i did have one friend like you know one of my best friends was still a friend from 
um, elementary school. And she was, um, you know, very much more of a Queens person. Um, you know, not, not because like, not, not in like a county sense, like, oh, she was in Queens. I feel like that's definitely like a life choice. Like, because she also tested into a different part of the system. Like she went to Bronx Science, like, you know, mm. like the second, you know, most prestigious high school in New York. Um, but she, she had different goals in life that led her to want to be very much a part of that, um, like Asian American, like, like pretend gang thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think especially when I was growing up, it was like a lot of like wearing all black, um, you know, like very dark lipstick smoking in front of Burger King that kind of vibe which is like the opposite of um, what i wanted to do um like mine was like i mean it, it, i would i would be more into like upper east side going to the metropolitan museum of art and doing sketches yeah. that were not even an assignment um that kind of thing and very then different vibe. very different vibes um but i'm also a very loyal person i think or i want to be a loyal person so i think you know there was definitely very bifurcated of like mm -hmm. where I wanted to, to spend my time. But even within the school, um, you know, I just had very individual friendships. I, I mean, from what I gather of popular culture of how a high school is constructed, we had some differences. It was very difficult to have jocks at our school because our um, like most successful sports team was chess. Like literally, <laughs> like, you know? Wow. And, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, um, I, and there was no there's really no space. Like, I know we had a basketball team, but, like, there's no space for football. Like, our school was right. one um, one block, like, one Manhattan block that used to be, literally used to be an armory. Mm. So, it's, like... So, know, did you, like, watch like, all these, like, coming-of-age high school TV shows? Like, what the fuck is happening? This is nothing like my experience. Like, I mean, it's... It was on the same thing as like what are like what are Boy Scouts like? Is this a real thing or is it yeah. like a, an invention of Hollywood? You know, it's like football. What is a homecoming game? Like, is this like a piece <laughs> of fiction? It, I would have the same uh, reactions as like somebody who's not you know not going to high school in America because we didn't have those like things. We didn't have the space. We didn't have the structure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how about like the going like the crossover, not crossover, but did you find any discrepancy between like the way you were being raised in the household and the, the culture of the, the greater city? Like I was raised like very much mm. in like my mom's Peruvian culture. And then I would go to my like very white suburban American school and kind of like be really steeped in whatever the hell you call that culture. Like I'm interested in like what, what was the difference between the way you were you were being raised and acting at home and the way you were when you were out in the city? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, what I was saying was, um, I've had like a lot of conversations with, with um, different people about this over the years. I think language is a, is a very, it's, 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 I mean, it answers the question, but it's also just something that I, I noticed that like a lot of people growing up um, in, in, uh, in households that spoke a language other than English, that I saw them speaking English at home or trying to speak English at home. And then like parents will either encourage that specifically and speak to them in English to try to like help them academically or help them fit in in the world or, you know, whatever you call it. Um, right. Or going through phases where kids don't want to speak their native language. Mm -hmm. I just never went through that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, and I, I still am trying to figure out why 
um, one of the reasons was like, well, my grandmother doesn't speak English at all. So there's no point. My mother speaks like uh, enough English for her like vocation, you know, mm-hmm. and that and that's it. Um, and so and I also never felt that I was forced to speak a language. I just spoke it like I never went to school. Like I know that, you know, a lot of people you know would be going to like a language school organized by the community. I had friends who went to Chinese school, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it's like they may maybe they even know how to like read it or at the core of it, know the language better. My relationship is such that my colloquial like speaking skills are better than mm. people who went to school. So in that way to actually come back to answer your question, it, it, I feel like I, I more easily slip into, you know, like a Chinese or Cantonese community. Like, you know, if there's like a mixed bunch of people who are like young immigrants or something, they won't know right away that I was born here because they have a concept, um, you know, of what like, you know, an ABC would be. And um, it it extends to, you know, um, like if I went to China and hung out with some cousins and their friends or, you know, they're in New York and we're hanging out once in a while, they'll like hit on like a word. And then they'll realize I don't know what that means um, because they forgot, like they'd forgotten in the last hour that yeah, I was yeah. not, you know, really in their community, you know, because I yeah. don't actually spend that much time. Like I just have this like osmos like thing from watching, you know, like Chinese like media, like, you know, like movies mm-hmm. and like television that's like shipped over. And yeah. So like, I think the other half of it of how I, you know, fit in I don't know like it always feels yeah I don't know well, it sounds uh, like yeah. it sounds like you it sounds like it wasn't the whole idea of like oh am I is my like home culture fitting in what the city it sounds like it just wasn't really on your mind like you were just comfortably switching between the two which I think is beautiful as somebody who spent a lot of time just being needlessly stressed out about this kind of thing <laughs> so you know what it is though I think I think what it is is because I feel uncomfortable everywhere Mm. I honestly, like, I've given this some thought. So it's like, I think it's a curse and a blessing. I yeah. feel uncomfortable in every single group, like, whatever the reason that I'm there, you know, like, filmmaker, camera people, Chinese people, like, Americans, New Yorkers, like, whatever that category is, I always feel just, like, like on the fringe of it, you mm. know? So I, I just accepted being being uncomfortable and that might be like a result, you know, just, just that, like, as I was growing up, I think like in the front of my brain, like I, I believed in what you could arguably call like all the lies, you know, like I believed in equality or, you know, whatever, but it was having an effect on me that, you know, things, society was reacting differently. It's, and which made me unhappy, but I didn't process it on the front. And I, so I right. still, I think I carried that with me so that now I understand how society works and I understand how people react and, and their reasons. Um, and I'm almost able to like better use it now, you know, yeah. that sense of discomfort. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a really, uh, it's just like pragmatic approach to the experience, like just accepting. I think that's something that I've been kind of coming to terms with over the, over the course of making the show. Like that core discomfort is just going to be there. It's just a fact of life when you have, when there's these overlapping identities happening. And if I think if people, like, if anybody's like struggling with that type of thing right now, they should listen to what you just said, which is like, accept that the discomfort is going to be there figure out the situations where you can ride that wave and still get your way into like 
what have you, the filmmaker community, the artist community, the whatever, whatever, uh, and not let that discomfort be a barrier to to you. Because I know that I've done that to myself of like, oh, I don't necessarily belong in in Latinx spaces because of da-da-da-da-da, instead of just accepting there's going to be a little bit of discomfort and just kind of leaning into it in the in the ways that are productive, at least. Yeah. When, when has that happened to you recently? I want to hear. Recently? Like, w- with what? With the... Or, you know, just the, the sense of discomfort, you know? Or just, just the, la- the last thing that you can remember. Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, it's always when I talk to my Peruvian family on the phone, which happened a couple of days ago. Uh, it's like, it's, it's a lot of language insecurity for me. Um, but uh, I mean, it's also just, oh God, I mean, everything about the pandemic and the, the current like civil unrest definitely has put me in the headspace of like, uh, what I've always talked about on this show, uh, which I think when you are first generation or mixed, there's just a constant feeling of like, oh, well, what am I allowed to claim? Like, w- like where, where are the points where people will start looking at me sideways? Like, why are you trying to be, uh, why are you trying to be this like Latin boy when like you're, you were raised in like such and such way, you weren't exposed to this, this and that. So that like the, the, the constant feeling of like, am I allowed to not to like use colonizer language, but to like plant a flag in this specific part of my identity um, mm-hmm. is the, the question that I'm always struggling with. I'm not yeah. sure if any of and that made sense. No, it, it does. And like it, and, and one of the things I keep thinking about, you know, in recent years is that, you know, like a, in a lot of parts of America or like in a lot of Americans, people aren't as white as, all that you know what I mean it's like and I think and I'm you know I'm conjecturing you know because I'm not um at all white um but I think I think I think it's something like in there of what you're talking about I mean almost like picking teams in different situations whereas in like a lot of people are walking around and they're really not that white you know um Mm. it's like there's like a lot of choices that you have to make of like how you identify overall but then also how you, you know, behave and code switch, like in particular situations. Right. On like um, a case by case basis. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it also like links to just some of the, uh, some of the thoughts that I've been having, like that a lot of my friends are mixed and there's been a lot of times where I strangely have, I have more of like, um, like a connection with that experience or some of the things that they would be talking about or preoccupied with more so than uh, like people who, you know, on paper have a closer background to me that is like, Mm -hmm. you know, just Chinese, Chinese born in America. Um, And I've had to like deal with that because it's like, it's so, it's so embedded, but like, I also have to check myself of like, am I trying to procreate like, sorry, not procreate, trying to, um, you, what's the word I'm looking for? Appropriate. Appropriate. There you go. Thank you very much. It's like, am I in a way? <laughs> this is why I'm here, to, baby. This is why I'm thank here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, am I in a way trying to appropriate like a mixed identity? You know what I mean? Because it's like because by blood I'm not. You know, and I and I do bring up that you know that part. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Like a, a wing of my family is like intermarried with with like Cubans, but I'm not. You know, Latin. But it's like. In, uh, I just share the worldview of a lot of my different friends who are like, you know, 
like half Filipino and Chinese or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Caucasian American and, you know, whatever, even like Jewish and Puerto Rican, you know, and we have these conversations and, and I see each one of those people, like how they've constructed their mm-hmm. identity, you know, right. with their, the two sides of their culture and how they've chosen to interact with it. And, you know, a lot of them are artists, some of them are not, but it also like seeps into like the art that they choose to make, you know, it, of you course. know they're writers or filmmakers. Um, and also, also just out there in the regular world too, you know, how yeah. they I mean, I think themselves. It- I think the the way you identify with the what what the mixed identity, whatever you want to call it, is I think it makes all the sense in the world that you have this feeling of really identifying with your mixed friends. I mean, it's why I like initially when I started the show, it was just going to be mixed race people, people of multi ethnic backgrounds, and I quickly expanded it to be anybody with a first generation experience because I think there's just so much overlap there. Um, Like, yes, you're not specifically mixed between two things, but the tension between being Obviously, I can't speak at all to the Chinese experience, but the tension between being an American-born Chinese person and a Chinese-born Chinese person, I think, is very similar to the tension of being, you know, mixed Peruvian and Irish, in my case, as opposed to, like, a fully-blooded, like, Peru-born person. I just think there's so much overlap there. Yeah, and it's definitely not a topic that I get to talk about a lot. You know, because I, I don't I don't even fully I don't even fully think like if I talk to the, the friends that I have in mind that they fully appreciate it because it's like also a very weird judgmental thing to say. I don't know, mm-hmm. in a way like, hey, so you're mixed race. I want to talk to you about how we're alike. <laughs> well, that's why. Hey, that's why uh, that's why we create shows where I DM people to beg them to talk about it with me. <laughs> So talk to me. So how, uh, when, when does filmmaking enter into the equation? Was that always there? Like, let's talk about your creative pursuits. Sure. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I would just preface it by saying that, you know, we all kind of rewrite our stories every a couple of years, but I think that I realized um, that when I was like 15 or 16, what I enjoyed doing at the time was going to the library and looking at the DVDs, and then I would just pick out movies that I want, and go home and watch them. And mm-hmm. then now I understand that what I was picking was like independent film. Like, like ah. what is this called? The Ice Storm? What is this called? You know, like, and, yeah. you know, I, and like, I, I would just be drawn to those, and I would watch them and have no um, concept of, you know, how those things are made, you know, like, what's the difference between documentary and narrative? I don't even know. Like, I'm just drawn to certain things. So it took a really long time. And um, I definitely didn't have one of those stories of like, oh, I wanted to be a filmmaker or whatever, because, you know, the truth is like, I I didn't see that. Like, there's no um, visual confirmation that this is um, a real thing that a person could do because of of how I grew up and where I was. Right. You know, it's like a million miles away. Like, I mean, it's like, well, Hollywood is physically very far away, but like, also I just, there's just no, no connections whatsoever, like in my family or even just like a visual representation of it there was none so yeah. it took a really long time i think time. people i think people yeah. just really don't people people just really don't understand the impact of that they just really don't understand i mean i don't know i've i've come up in the artistic community with a lot of people who either like 
obviously are like super white and see themselves on screen everywhere, but also just like the power of having somebody in the family or even someone from your hometown or someone who's like a friend of a friend of a friend who is making a living as an artist. Like, I think people really don't get the perspective of somebody who has zero of that. Like it's, it yeah, makes it, the, the climb completely different. It, it, it's, it's just, you don't have the information that it's real. Like, you know, it was a complete disconnect. It's like, this is, it happens to other people. You know, um, anyway, so then basically um, college just kind of fumbled around and really make a lot of sense. And then I end up just majoring in film theory. Um, and then when I got back to New York after that is where it became real. You know, just being in New York, you have that luxury of like, you know, just open your uh, Craigslist and find mm -hmm. some crappy project and it's like can I be a PA for no money it's like sure you can is that how it started a Craigslist post yeah I was just like Love go on it. Craigslist and then it's like well what what skills do I have I can't drive I'm a New Yorker um, what kind of <laughs> can I be? you know so and then um yeah so I just like did uh, independent films like I did a little bit of like ADing and things like that and then you know you realize the, where the action is centering and it's like is around the camera so like let's do that let's go towards that how you do that and then it was um and there was me um underemployed as an AC for a while mm -hmm. um, and then it got to a point where it was evident that I either have to you know get good and um, and or join the union and kind of take that path but then it comes back to that thing where it's like is that real like where where would that lead like I still didn't know anybody who wasn't you know um, just independent and whatever so right. that was pretty hard and I kind of hit a wall where also like you know just because you're from New York doesn't mean that New York doesn't beat you up. Oh you know? yeah. Um, you know. And I mean? was like, the like, was the goal was the goal always to DP or were you just unsure of what department to be? No, in? I mean, it, I mean, at that point when I was a seeing it, really, literally, you wouldn't see a woman. You you know, there mm. wouldn't be like a like a small five two like Asian person. It it really just was not a possibility. You know, and I think that's part of it. That's where it became like an internalized depression. But I didn't understand where it was from. It just seemed like, what could I possibly do? Like, what are my skills? Um, and then blah, 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 moving to like San Francisco, trying to do like office jobs. Like, can I work at like a tech startup? Like, um, just, just all kinds of things. And it's literally, I would be all, like, I was temping and I was offered a full-time job as an executive assistant. I'm like, no. No, 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 nightmares. I have to run away now. It really was. It was like, this is becoming real. I need to leave. Um, and it was, and that was like me running away to like film festivals, even though it was like a, you know, like a three week job. I'm like, bye. I have to do this. You know, <laughs> I um, would have done the same thing. Was, you know, it was my final exit. And it was like a really important sort of segue, like the last time that I tried um, to sort of like go, go with straight. And then it, it was at that point. And this one, I'm like, I think like 29 already, you know, like it's, it's pretty late. And, and I just realized that I don't, I don't have other, not, not it's not that I don't have other marketable skills. Like I can't stand doing anything else for yeah. longer than two months. Yeah. Um, so it just became more like there is said no every, said every artist ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I, I can't I, do other things. It's just, it kills me inside. Yeah. It's like, what, what would be the point? Um, yeah, so then I just had to face that, it, you know, and that's when I kind of crossed what I call like the point of no return, 
where mm. it's like you're so old now and you haven't done anything else you know that would build a meaningful conventional career so you may as well just keep going because you've already screwed up everything else I love um, it. I love it. That's, you yeah, know what that, that is? That you know what that's called? That's called reality. It's not yeah. always for all the like young people who DM me or DM this show about like, how do I start a podcast or how do I like become a whatever? Like, it's not a, it's not a story where you like move to the big city and like you work really hard, you make it big. Sometimes it's a weird, it's not a straight line. It's like a weird squiggly asymmetrical shape that gets you where you're going. Yeah, it's it's like that's the reason where it's like that classic advice of like, well, what what would you tell somebody who's younger? What do you tell your younger self? It's like, why are you wasting your time? Just do the thing. Like the thing is not hard. Mm-hmm. It's just you doing it, like following through, or mm-hmm. you know, just keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I like that a lot. So talk to me about the um, talk to me about that transition into DP work because that's how I met you on a on a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I mean, while I was in San Francisco and like working in film festivals, um, I did meet like a like-minded person who was like also, you know, working in film festivals, but she wanted to write um, and she she wanted to, to direct and she's, uh, well, actually, she's also a brilliant um, production designer. So she wore mm-hmm. all three of those hats. Um, and I, um, we basically were in, in an office together at the end of a film festival. And just kind of looked at each other and it's like, so are we going to actually write that film? Or like, mm. we're going to make that film, right? Like that thing you say to like a thousand people. Oh, yes. When you're in the indie world. Yeah, yeah. But this one was like, I believe you, you know? And then so she literally did the thing where she went off to like her like aunt's like ranch or something and then like wrote for a couple of weeks. And then we mm-hmm. came back and we made the thing. I produced it and I shot it. And then Amazing. You know, she kind of did everything it was else. A, and- it was a feature. Was it a short? No, it was a short film. Um, it was a, a short um, queer film that we almost made specifically for one festival, which we got into later, hey. um, like two years later when you finally finish it with the music and like right, right. color correction and everything. Um, so that was, that was a really big thing because it was a calling card that we could each have. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was also, you know, the, the last thing that I made before I left San Francisco, you know, so it, it really closed that chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the San Francisco chapter was really about like learning how to talk to people is uh, generally how I describe it because I didn't know anybody else. Uh, well, I, I moved there with my partner and we're still together, mm-hmm. but like, I didn't know anybody else in San Francisco. And, um, so just having to sort of like, like socially like work from the ground up. So where you're yeah. like, you have a hunger of talking to people, both socially, just to, you know, so that you would know people in, in yeah. town and also yeah. to, to build up, you know, whatever your identity as a filmmaker is. Uh, so on both of those things, I kind of left not only with those really important, you know, personal skills, like also had this calling card. So it was, it, I mean, it, it, I, I think that was the best case scenario, really, you know? Yeah. And then so I came back, um, well, at that point, it was like either moving to LA and New York, and you know, I, I picked New York. And you, you know, made the right like, choice. I, Thank you for making the right choice. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's like oh, everything else is history. Um, yeah, so I came back and I had a calling card, and um, and I don't, I don't know if you've also noticed it, like because of there's so much movement of like New York, to California, this like bicoastal movement that right. it takes a while for for like the outer rings of your contacts to even know that you're gone. You know yes, what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So because I was only gone for two years and when I was in San Francisco, occasionally I would get jobs from people, you know, actually right. in New York. So there really wasn't a sense that I 
truly left. So I would still get some calls for like to AC and stuff when I when I got back. And it was it's very difficult to just continually to tell people no. So it's like, no, I only operate in um, in DP now. So right. there's like a lot of no. Which is such um, a huge thing. I yeah. mean, I think I think any artist who's trying to work their way up in any medium, whether it's film or theater or dance or whatever, like that the ability to turn down work at the position that you've been comfortable in for so long, I think is so important and such a scary step to make. I can't, I don't know how many, I mean, I know a lot of filmmakers and it's always the same thing of like, well, I really want to, I really want to shoot, but I've been making my living ACing for the last five years. Yeah. The question then becomes like, are you willing to maybe go a little hungrier and turn down all that work? Because otherwise people won't, see you in the role that you want to be hired in you know what i mean yeah i think i think saying no is integral yeah actually you know it's it's a it's a big part of it and like i think at that point is when i you know started to be an adult and started to track my finances in like a meaningful way (laughs) and and it it seemed so futile and stupid when i started because i would literally i think there was one year i made like like seven thousand dollars Mm-hmm. been there it's like transitional there. year you know it's like and it's like part of it was like film festival work still you know because that's where yeah. i had a lot of connections so that's also one of the lowest paying things you know in entertainment i think is to work in a film festival uh, unless you're staff um but like so that that buoyed things a little bit and like i also did a little bit of like grip and electric work you know just because i came up through camera like i needed to sort of solidify some of those Mm -hmm. Um, that skill set and you know just like it's a different way of thinking you know to actually try to work professionally um, in genie but did a little bit of that but then uh, again same thing it'll be like I'll go in as the genie PA or something like how much money is that going to (laughs) yield so (laughs) and then it it was a very slow climb um, honestly until um, until maybe like two years ago so I think, yeah. you know, right around like when we met is when it started to be like, oh, um, this is actual money that you could like live, like survive in New York and, yeah. you know, try to and, and, and also the start of like just trying to be frugal and like uh, trying to erase debt from all from like a waste. From decade. everything. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't I can't tell you I can't <laughs> oh, I don't even get me started on debt. But yeah, I mean, also, I just I just want to say shout outs to Alex Nader, the first ever guest on this show, uh, which her short film is how we met about two years ago, which is when we're talking about. I'm curious because you alluded to it before, just from working on sets and be it in New York or San Francisco or wherever, um, that they're just like, A, there are virtually no women on set most of the time. And B, there are, I'm assuming, not very many people who look like you. So what have you noticed any uh, any changes in the scene as you've worked your way up? Has there been any forward movement or is it just kind of more of the same? No, there has. I mean, there, there definitely has. Like, I would be lying if I said there hasn't because it's still not, experientially, it's still kind of brutal sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has been a lot of change. You know, one of those changes is called the internet. Um, <laughs> I mean, because like without, like, because when I started PAing, it was like, um, hey, PA, like, we have no money. Like, uh, we need a script, script supervisor, though. Can you do that? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. And then I would have to go to the library, like the reference section. So the part where they don't let you take anything out. And I would mm. have to sit there or like make copies or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a million miles now. Now it's like I can Google a very specific piece of large equipment and watch it in action and just 
the the information that you get from like sitting here for like five seconds of a video that yeah. would have taken so many steps to, to find the right person to maybe place you in the right place. And so it's like, it's access. The access might be a little different now, or, or it's different um, than if you got access a while ago, but that access is really important. And I think right. that I'd like to think that I'm good at, good at it, but like if you can get that, the information that you need, um, like through all of these different channels that we have now, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that has made my career. Like I couldn't do it without that. And yeah. there certainly are a lot of great allies, you know, um, like uh, mentors or near mentors and people like that who are willing to, um, to help you. Sometimes even the smallest ways, like it, it you know, it's very small for them, but it's, it's really big to right. me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, mentorships are so important, even if it's not a formal mentor thing. It's just somebody who's like a couple of years ahead of you who's willing to be like, this is how this works. This is how that works. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I also did um, this AFI um, program, like it's a cinematography intensive. Uh, oh, nice. Program. Yeah. We haven't even talked about that. Yeah. So like I did that. Uh, it was the second year they were running it and, and they, ha they have it in, on the campus in L.A. Um, I think there was 19 of us. And that was one of the first times where I was um, in a room and there was like more than two Asian DPs. You mm. can certainly get two in a room, like in New York. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people. It's just like, you know, what are the chances, right? It's going to be like you and that person. Um, so that was, that was very interesting. I mean, it was great, you know, and it, and it was a very conscious effort, right. you know, on, on behalf of like AFI and their like selection committee and everything. And so I, I appreciate that beyond words. That was so important because I got to meet, um, well, I got to meet some peers that are like scattered over the country, you know, like mm -hmm. just from that one program, I have connections in Atlanta. I have connections like in the Pacific Northwest, you know, LA obviously really strengthened yeah. that, you know, um, so, yeah, I, it was, it was amazing because, I mean, tears were shed at the end of that program. Like it was that, it was like that moving. It was so cheesy because like I went into it thinking, well, getting, getting in is probably the most useful part, you know, and people are very, right. The, the name of the resume. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but when I got there, honestly, it was, it, it like, it really, it really touched you because it was, it was um, being invited to a seat at the table, which is, which is really nice. It's amazing. And that program's still running, right? It is still running, it, but there wasn't one this year because it right. takes well, place of like, course. right around this time of year, I think. Um, so. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. So how about since, because I want to get this in before we, we're running low on time, just talk to me about like, like what in terms of the stuff you have shot or the stuff you want to shoot, like what kind of, what kind of films do you really, really want to shoot? Like what turns you on creatively? So many things is mm. is the reality i think like um a lot of dps will say that but i like i like low culture and i like high culture honestly mm. so it's like part of me wants to make you know like your sundown starling you know very um you know like subdue colors and you know intense dialogue and all that stuff and yeah. then i also like you know i also like 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 sci-fi action you know um so I, I re yeah, I really like that. I, I've also become really interested in television. I think a lot of people have. Yeah. And it's like, for example, for example, like Amazon's Homecoming, the first season. Oh, yes. I, I love that. That's show. what I want to make. 
That's what I want to make. Like uh, long form. It's so you like the, the Sam Esmail look? I do. I do. I do like, like it. I do dig it. Yeah, right? The framing, like the textures, you know, yeah. like the production design, blog, the music, the approach to music, like everything about it comes together. So ultimately, it's really about the pro, like it is about, it is about higher, higher budget projects. I think yeah. that's just the truth. And it doesn't always mean like literally that project has the highest budget, but like everybody who comes into it has to have the ability to make a higher budget project. Right, right. So it needs to be that level of concentration and intent. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I want to see the stuff you're making. Wow. So how, because we are sort of running uh, low on time, how can people keep up with your stuff? How do people keep up with you? Uh, I, want, I want people to be able to support you. Yeah, I'm very Googleable, so you know you can <laughs> follow me on Instagram at um, Barbie Lung DP, um, B-A-R-B-I-E-L-E-U-N-G-D-P. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my website is just barbielung.com. Beautiful images, beautiful images. I freak, I geek out over DPs just because, like, I I could never do it, and I'm just always so like impressed by. I'm so impressed by your work. I've gone through your website countless times, truly. Oh, thank you. You were a pleasure to work with. Thank you so. I was. You were one of my favorite people. You were one of my favorite people. Oh, stop it! Stop it! That's so crazy because I I literally did one day on that movie like forever ago. You know, because it's like you because you have to respect the script and everything, right? But I'm like, oh, I wish there was a reason to get more a more close up. So, oh, stop it! Stop it! I have been fishing for this the entire episode, though. (laughs) 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 Oh man, Barbie! Thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh my God, of course. The people are going to love you. I know. I I literally, I feel like I looked down at 420 and then looked back up and all of a sudden it's 450 to spoil when we're recording this for everybody. Oh no, it's lost its timeless appeal. (laughs) Yeah, because it definitely was going to have it. (laughs) Oh my God. Barbie, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back and I'm so excited to see everything that you're going to be working on once uh once the world restarts thank you so much yay okay bye bye And that's it for another week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Barbie for uh, joining the Zoom call. Thank you to Zoom, even though you are my nemesis and I hate you. Um, thank you to uh, thank you to uh, Carly Hogadike and Authentic Literary Talent Management for hooking up the show. Thank you to anybody who's listening to this. Um, if you enjoy the show, please remember to like, rate, review, and uh, share it with anybody who you might uh, feel like enjoys the show. I'm really trying to... Um, Grow my audience in the face of a, a current, um, really bleak moment in human history. Uh, it is it is four in the morning right now, so I'm gonna go to sleep now. And I hope you have a great week. And I'll be back with more La Mescla next week. Okay, bye. <laughs>